Hello and welcome to Interlude Women's Cancer Stories with Dr. Doplinski. I am a medical oncologist and I specialize in treating women with breast and gynecologic cancer. I started this podcast to share the journeys and experiences of women who are living with cancer. Every week, I bring you stories of incredible women who are all at different stages of their cancer experience. We will talk about anything and everything related to the cancer journey. These women will share with you how cancer has affected them and how they are living life despite it. The information discussed on this podcast is not meant to serve as any medical advice as each patient has a different treatment and experience. It is meant to create a dialogue. Any personal medical questions should be directed to your healthcare team. Cancer brings normal life to a halt. It creates an interlude. Let's talk about it. Today my guest is Laura Revson. Laura was diagnosed with breast cancer when she was 29 years old. She talks a lot about how she was diagnosed why she didn't think that she had breast cancer because she was so young, what her treatment looked like, the decisions that she had to make during treatment about fertility, bilateral mastectomy, reconstruction. We talk about what life looked like after cancer treatment, the changes that she's made, dating after going through cancer. She is open, she's honest, and I really think that you'll love this episode. Welcome, Laura. Can you start by introducing yourself? Hi, my name is Laura, and I was diagnosed with breast cancer when I was 29 years old. Can you talk a little bit about how you were first diagnosed with breast cancer? Um, It was kind of complicated how I found out, and the way that it came up was that I found a lump on under my armpit, and it was really large, and um, I asked my husband, "Um, what do you think of this? And he goes, well, I think that maybe you pulled a muscle at the gym and it could be anything. Really, I have no idea. Don't worry about it. No big deal. You're 29 years old. So I had an appointment with my gynecologist three weeks later. um, And I know that they do a breast exam and I was 29 at the time. So I never had a mammogram before. And I decided to wait for those three weeks until I saw my gynecologist. I had a son who was two years old at the time. Um, And I kind of just put everything in the back of my mind because I didn't think that there could possibly be any kind of cancer relation, especially since I didn't have BRCA and no one in my family had breast cancer, even though I am Jewish. So I waited the three weeks. I was a little apprehensive, but I felt like something was just not right. But my mind still never went to breast cancer um, or cancer at all. My appointment came. Um, my doctor had, uh, my OBGYN had to deliver a baby at that exact time. So the physician's assistant was there and I was asked if I wanted to see her, if I wanted to come back. So I said, I'll see you. Um, I went to see her and she said, I'm sure it's nothing. She felt it. And at that point there was actually another little, another little rock or some kind of hard bump in my left breast. Um, but again, my mind just didn't go there at all. So when I went to see the physician's assistant, she said, I'm not worried about this at all, but I would get it checked out by a general practitioner. I think it's a a cyst probably, or you pulled some kind of muscle in your breast or it's related to your armpit, but I wouldn't worry about it. But I would just go and, um, just to make sure that they can drain it to make sure it's a cyst. I went to her and she tried to drain it. It all happened within a few days. She couldn't drain it. And immediately she looked very alarmed 
but my mind still didn't go anywhere near there. So she said, you know what? I would just go get a second opinion. She did not seem concerned in any way, but she wanted to have me go see someone as um, an extra measure. So I didn't really take it that seriously. However, the following week, I started to have a fever and I had a fever from Monday through Friday with no other symptoms. And I thought, this is odd with kind of the other stuff that's going on. But I started Googling things and of course it came up, but that's so far fetched that my mind still didn't go there. Um, However, after having a fever for five days, I was a little, I thought it was odd and I was just, something in my mind was not right. So on the fifth day, I had gone to work all week. Um, I was actually working as an analyst at Toys R Us in New Jersey at the time. And I had only been there for about a month. When this happened, I was a little bit worried about my job and um, what this would mean. There was a lot of concern that was overwhelming me at the time. Once I got to the hospital, it was a very strange day. I get there on a Friday and I decided after a fever for five days, I said to my husband, you should come with me. I don't feel comfortable going to the hospital alone. This is very strange. It's just very strange to me. And he came with me. And as soon as I got to the hospital, after having a fever for five days, the ER doctor said to me, oh, your fever just went down. However, what is this bump that you're referring to, um, these couple of bumps that you're referring to? And I said, I don't know. They just happened. Um, I found them a couple of weeks ago. My OBGYN physician's assistant said not to worry about it. And he said, this is odd and I'm not comfortable with this. So they kind of just wheeled me over directly to the breast center. And this all happened on the same day within a few hours. It was already turning into the evening at this point. I had only been at the hospital for a couple of hours. My fever had gone away and they wheeled me over to the breast center. And immediately they gave me, it was maybe 4 p.m., maybe 3 or 4 p.m. And they gave me a mammogram immediately. And I thought, this is so fast. I wonder why I'm getting a mammogram so quickly. And nobody wanted to really alarm me looking back on it. So they did a quick mammogram. Um, They didn't want to tell me anything because it's not their position to comment at this point. And then they said immediately, well, we're going to do an ultrasound. So they did an ultrasound still. They didn't want to tell me anything. Um, And then they said, have a seat. We'll get back to you in a few minutes, but have a seat. We want to talk to you today. So I sat down for a few minutes and then... What's going through your mind at that point, right? So they, no one's telling you anything, but they're kind of saying, why don't you sit down? What are you thinking of? I definitely thought there was something suspicious, but I still could not even, my mind could not go there. I thought this is going to be a funny story mm-hmm. when I look back on it. And I was sitting there and I look to the side entrance and I see the general practitioner that I had seen who told who couldn't drain the cyst. And she walks in and she sees me and I was so confused and she said to me, Laura, you're going to be just fine. I know a great plastic surgeon. You're going to be taken care of. Don't worry at all. And I thought to myself, what is she talking about? I was so confused. 
a couple minutes later, and that just happened in the waiting room. And then a couple minutes later, someone came over to me and said, let's go and discuss your results. And they said, listen, we're a little bit concerned. We'd like you to have a biopsy ASAP. We can do a biopsy right now. And this all happened within like three hours. And they said, we can do a biopsy right now, or we can wait till next week. And I said, no, I'll do one right now. I was, I was very nervous and scared. And then I went and did a biopsy. There were three people in the room and it was the most, one of the most painful experiences of my life actually. And um, again, something I didn't know, um, the whole experience was very educational, um, but that was my first experience of something very painful and very scary that I think a lot of people don't actually talk about the biopsy part, but it was like staples in my breast. Do you think it would have been a good idea for someone to say to you, this is going to be painful? I really think for someone who's never had any idea of this process, especially at a very young age, um, I think to kind of mention, wait a second, um, we're having a little bit of this concern. Um, I think that it's very important for you to get a biopsy, kind of if they had discussed it with me. Um, a little heads up because I was literally lying there and then I'm like, wow, this is extremely painful. <laughs> so yeah, I, I wish that definitely someone had mentioned it to me. I had done the biopsy and they said, wait till, t wait till Monday morning. The whole weekend, I was so nervous. I thought, I have to wait for them to call me. I have to wait for the breast surgeon to call me and let me know the results. However, when all of that is happening on a Friday you don't think I can wait. I can sit here and wait. Every minute is panic. Panic of, is this nothing or is this going to ruin my life? The whole weekend, I thought I'm never going to wait for these test results. I'm going to show up to the hospital on Monday morning and I'm going to wait and hopefully they have them ready. So I did. I showed up Monday morning. Um, I had asked my husband to come with me um, even though he felt it was absolutely nothing and insignificant and just going to be a funny story later on as well. But he came with me anyway, which was very helpful um, because it ended up being the worst day of my life. And they said, oh, you know, we actually do have your test results, so we can take you. It's very early in the morning. It's maybe 9 a.m. I went into the room and the nurse came over with the test results and she said, I'm very sorry to tell you this. And it all happened very quickly. She just came into the room and said, very sorry to tell you this, but you have cancer. You have breast cancer. We do need to do a lot more tests, but we can tell and we think it's stage two, but we're not positive and we need to run more tests. The very first feeling I had was panic directly related to the fact that I had a two-year-old son. The only thing I could think about at the time was, I have a two-year-old. And that's literally what I said. I said to the nurse, I said, but I have a two-year-old. And then I thought I passed out. Um, and then my husband was kind of standing behind me and he was angry. And I just started hysterically crying and started panicking. Because what do you do in that situation? What do you do when someone tells you that? Um, that's going to completely alter your life. And my husband, I saw that he was angry. And 
he said, no, no, you didn't do enough tests. You can't just give us a diagnosis like this. He was angry. He really didn't believe it, um, didn't want to believe it. And she said, no, it's, it's true. Um, we can tell. Um, and now you're going to go in and speak to the breast surgeon. And we, had, we didn't know what to say. There was really nothing to say at that point. The amount of questions that you come up with are an afterthought. Um, you kind of have to go home and come up with all your questions. I think personally, it's so shocking at the moment to hear something like that um, and to kind of reconcile all your thoughts. So within minutes, we just go right into her office. Um, and she says, this is a piece of paper. On this piece of paper, I'm going to write for you two different scenarios. You can either go with this scenario or this scenario of treatment. And she went through both options and she said, but I recommend this. And what she recommended was chemotherapy immediately, followed by, well, a, a mastectomy, but not a bilateral mastectomy, because at this point it was only visible in my left breast and left underarm. And then followed by radiation. This was a terrifying, terrifying conversation. I walked out of there completely panicking, not knowing what to do next. Do I get a second opinion? Who do I call? Thoughts just all over the place. So as I walk out, I decide to call my mom. My husband is not saying anything. We just walk downstairs. I'm hysterically crying, but not able to even come up with any kind of communication. But I knew I had to tell my mother. So I call her as we're walking outside of the building and I couldn't even talk. I was just hysterically crying and she couldn't understand me. So I had to like calm down my voice and I told her and I think that she couldn't even absorb that information at that point. It was so odd to hear. So after that, um, the worst day of my life, my mother came over and my mother's best friend came over who had cancer 20 years ago. And she wanted to show me that you can survive, you can thrive, and you'll be just fine. It doesn't matter what age you are. She was 20 years older than me when she was diagnosed, but that doesn't really matter because she's doing amazing 20 years later. Complete remission, huge inspiration. So they both came over that very evening and there was a lot of crying and a lot of, you're going to be fine. You need a second opinion immediately. My mom, who is on top of everything, she is a leader personality. She called Memorial Sloan Kettering, even though I was living in New Jersey. She wanted to get me um, a second opinion at Memorial Sloan Kettering. She got me in. She called me and she said, I got you an appointment in a few days. You're going to go and you're going to have a second opinion and we're going to see what happens. We go to Memorial Sloan Kettering a few days later. We see an oncologist specifically for um, women, young women with breast cancer. And she had the exact same diagnosis and prognosis and treatment for me. Um, so we knew that that's exactly what had to happen. However, the only thing that I was uncomfortable with was only getting one breast removed because it was in my armpit and they knew it at that time. And even though they didn't see any disease on the right side, I was terrified, especially because they said it's stage two, but we're not necessarily sure it's not stage three. And 
basically this oncologist said, we're going to start you immediately on chemo if you're ready to go down this road. It's going to be tough. You're going to have four ACTs um, once every two weeks, and then you're going to have four taxols. Same pattern. So it was eight, uh, I'm sorry, it was 16 weeks. That was the worst part of my life, pretty much. The only thing that had to happen before I started chemo was the decision of fertility. And it was a huge concern for me, um, maybe more so than other people, because I had so much fear about the disease and how it would affect my body. And we went to see a fertility specialist that was recommended, that was referred to us. We went to see him and he basically said, it's completely up to you. You can have your eggs extracted. We can do this. We can do one round. Um, and it's up to you whether or not you want to take that risk. And from what I understood, it was we have to pump you up with hormones um, if you want to have another child and you want to extract eggs. Um, that's what we would need to do. And that's a decision that you need to make. And at this point, I already knew that part of my disease was hormone positive. And the number one thing that was going through my mind was I have a son and nothing is is more important to me than being here for my son. And that was just a very personal decision. A lot of people, it's, you know, it's very personal. That's, that's, a, that's a decision that so many people struggle with. I know from my support group and everybody makes a very different decision. For me, that's what was right. How did your family react to that decision? They were actually on my side. Everyone was very supportive, including my husband, um, because because it was not stage zero. It wasn't stage one. It was severe, and it was a very scary time for all of us. And my family was just very focused on my son, and I think we all just were. Um, and I was given that autonomy to make that decision. Um, but everyone, my family was very supportive of that. Um, that is still a very big issue for me today, not having done that and the repercussions of that as I've gotten older and I'm now in remission. Did um, your periods come back? My period is strange. I take tamoxifen um, and I have to for another four years and I don't know how that's affecting my period, but it's very sporadic, very inconsistent. I, I mean, for actually four different reasons. Um, I don't believe that I can have another child. Um, all that leads back to cancer, um, the ho hormones specifically, getting pregnant, having those hormones, extracting eggs. I can't really do that because my eggs are kind of very old yeah. from having mm -hmm. chemo. I get mm -hmm. damaged. Yeah. So chemotherapy um, kind of ages your ovaries for about you know a couple of years. So that's a whole other... Part of tamoxifen, like you said, makes your periods irregular, so it, it can be really difficult afterwards. Yeah, so there's a lot of layers of the fertility um, blanket, but the initial one was, do you want to get your eggs extracted before you do chemo? And that was just too scary for me. I couldn't risk it at the time. I wanted to start chemo immediately. Um, for me, 
I wanted that disease out of my body as soon as possible. It felt like my body was not mine anymore, that there was something in it trying to kill me. Um, mm-hmm. I guess there literally was. Literally, yes. So you started and the chemo. So I started the chemo a week later, and I just went through the motions. Um, I had chemo every other week. I lost my hair within um, two weeks. I had gone to a place that they recommended to get a wig. And I bought a very expensive wig and I thought to myself, yes, I want a very expensive wig because, you know, I like to look good and I can't imagine being bald. Yet, what happened after that I thought was very interesting. One doesn't really know how they're going to act unless they're in a situation, I found. Um, For me, I bought this wig and it was very expensive. A huge amount that I never even thought I would ever spend on something like that. I wore it two times really? in a year that I didn't have hair. And I didn't want to wear it at all after that. So it's very interesting. That was interesting for me to learn about myself. As vain as I think I am, I didn't want to wear that wig. I didn't feel comfortable. Did you go bald I- or did you wear headscarves? My sister had given me a bunch of headscarves that she... She's collected throughout her life. She's a very um, scarf kind of girl. She had given me a bunch, and I ended up wearing one or two scarves the entire time. Um, I didn't feel comfortable going bald outside of my home, but I wore scarves the entire time. And everybody can really tell that you have cancer when you're wearing a scarf anyway. There's no hair sticking out. It's pretty understood. How did your son react to the no hair? He was really little. And he didn't understand at all what was happening. So I kind of made it funny. And I bent down. Once I had lost all my hair initially, um, I had bent down. And I said, look, mom is bald. And he was, oh, that's so funny. He didn't know what that meant. So thank God to me, that was very um, that was very important. And I think maybe it just worked out that way that he was so little at the time that he's not as affected as if he was eight now and that happened. Parenting a toddler is not easy. How was it during chemotherapy? To be honest, I was bedridden for many of those weeks. Um, For the first week after each chemo, I was completely bedridden. I was just nauseous um, every waking moment and couldn't eat anything. The only thing that I could eat was bagels. That's all I ate, literally. Um, Did not touch any other food and vitamin water because water, normal water, tastes kind of funky when you're having chemo. And I was basically in bed the whole time and uh, maybe every few days before the next chemo, I would kind of come out and walk around and then I would be able to hang out with my son. But I didn't feel like I can go and participate in activities with him. Um, I left that up to my family. And it was, it is one of the most difficult things that I have to think about now that I lost that time with him. Um, Just because I literally couldn't leave my bed. It was just too much. And so you didn't work during treatment? I didn't. I was really lucky, actually, that, um, you know, I had only worked at Toys R Us for a month. And usually they don't, a lot of companies don't let you take disability leave 
that's covered unless you've been there for a minimum of three months or more. And I had only been there for a month. Um, but after I explained the situation to them, they said that they would take care of me for six months. Um, and then I can get, I can have three months to myself if I wanted, um, without pay and they would keep a position for me not the exact same position, but they would keep a position open for me. And I really have to say, I, I really appreciate that because I did. I ended up coming back to work nine months later after all the treatment, after the chemo, after the surgery, and after radiation, I went back to work. And I I think it was um, it was definitely a great quality for an employer to do that. That's really nice. You don't always see that. So I think that's awesome that they were able to do that for you. Is there advice that you would give to someone who's starting out with chemotherapy? You know, people have a ton of questions. They're not sure what it's going to be like. Any tips, any suggestions? I would say you should plan to not do a lot for the next few weeks. I think that it's really important for someone to know that it's going to be about you and you need to allow yourself that time. And if you can have any kind of help, um, someone come to your house to do chores. There are services, not nonprofit services, that come to people's homes for um, cleaning and to provide meals and to do things for someone who has cancer that they might not have the time or physical availability to do. Um, and I would basically say take that time to not feel like you have to do everything around your house. Let your family help a lot and take care of yourself because the emotional part is huge. It's just as big, if not bigger, than the physical aspect. Especially being diagnosed at a young age and not having, knowing people who've gone through the same thing at that age. Can you talk about your experience with the support group? I was really apprehensive about joining a support group because that's something I had never done before. Um, But I felt it was dire at that point. I met so many wonderful women there and the group had just started actually. Unfortunately, it's expanded. Unfortunately, but they are amazing women in that group. Amazing women and there's really literally nothing like the people, like knowing that there are other people who feel exactly the same as you do. There is there is no one other than people who have gone through cancer that can really, really truly understand, I feel, what you are going through, what you have gone through. Um, you know, someone who's come close to death, those are the only people that are going to understand the same situation. So going to that support group was extremely dire for me. I think that I would have felt very lonely um, and very scared and less educated had I not gone to the support group. But there are women in there who are in all different stages. Um, And so there's someone for every stage that I was about to go through to tell me their experience. And knowing that and knowing that they're still here, they're right here, everything's going to be okay. We're all talking about it. You know, we all understand that no one understands but us. We're kind of all in this boat together. And there was everyone from 20-something to 40-something. And I just felt like it was very inclusive. And I don't think I would have 
been emotionally able to handle it as well as I did had I not gone to that support group. And I still don't, if I still feel that if I weren't part of it today and had some resources and some people to bounce ideas off of regarding cancer and the aftermath and everything, um, it would be much more difficult for me right now emotionally. Well, it's true because treatment of cancer is not just the chemotherapy and the surgery. It's everything that comes afterwards as well. So let's talk a little bit. So you finished chemotherapy. What surgery did you ultimately decide on? I said that I really wanted a bilateral mastectomy um, just because of my huge fear of recurrence. And they, no one argued with me. Um, they didn't recommend it because they wanted to do the most conservative surgery and treatment. However, my oncologist said, I don't, I'm not telling you to do a bilateral mastectomy. You don't have to based on your pathology. However, if I were you, I probably would, but it's a personal decision. And I said, I want to do it because I don't want to look over my shoulder the rest of my life. And she said, okay, we'll do it. Completely understand. And that's what I had. I had um, both breasts removed and I also had 24 lymph nodes removed from my left underarm and a couple from my right underarm. I had the surgery. They came back with the pathology, um, not knowing what the results would have been. I thought that there would never be a complete um, effect. I received a call from my breast surgeon a few days after my surgery. And she said, it was actually a voicemail because I'd missed the call. And I was listening to the voicemail and I was sitting in my chair. I was recovering in that chair that every woman with breast cancer sits in mm -hmm. to become more comfortable because their body can't move that much. Um, and I was lying in my chair and I heard this message and she had the most beautiful message and the most beautiful voice. And she said the most angelic thing. She said, you had complete pathologic response, which is not that common. However, you did have stage three breast cancer. And, and that was all right with me because that was the only thing I needed to hear at that point. I don't think that I would have been able to go on with my life emotionally had I not heard that. Um, if I knew there was still a possibility of disease in my body. However, now, you know, it remains a possibility just going a little bit into the future. I'm, I'm okay with that concept from having gone through what I've gone through. However, at the time, it was extremely important to know that information. And once I heard that, because I didn't think that was even possible for me, I started crying hysterically and I yelled out to my mother who was on the other side of the home and she thought something horrible happened because I was crying so hard and I was just crying in happiness. And I just said I had a complete pathologic response and we hugged each other and I was crying and it was one of the most wonderful feelings of my life um, that I didn't expect. And I, I, remember, I remember that feeling so well. It was a beautiful feeling. And after that surgery, I, um, that was an exchange surgery. So I needed to get expanders to expand the implants um, after having had all the, the actual breasts and the tissue and the nipples all removed. 
And that process takes a good nine months to expand. So I knew that there was going to be another exchange surgery coming up. Um, But right after the initial surgery, I had to undergo radiation. It was still necessary. That wasn't even a question for me. So I had 25 days of radiation. I actually took the, the train in all the way to the Upper East Side every day for five weeks. It was a pretty long commute. And it was pretty difficult to go into that radiation center because there were actually like children there and all sorts of people from all different walks of life. And it was a little sad, Um, but it wasn't that horrible because honestly, we had all gone through other things. It's not just radiation. So it wasn't it wasn't as horrible as nearly the other things that I had gone through, to be honest. Radiation for me, physically and emotionally, was the easiest part of the treatment that I had undergone, aside from tamoxifen, which I take now. Just like a, like a baby treatment, I call it. Radiation was the easiest part for me. Um, to me, it was a little burn on my body. And yeah, it's, it's a pretty big burn, but it's something that is controllable and you know it's not dangerous and it's it doesn't make you nauseous really that much um it's more kind of a physically taxing thing and you get a little bit burned but compared to all the other treatments it was the easiest part um, of everything that i had gone through and honestly right after radiation the following week i went back to work and Um, I had stayed there for years after and it was, I I felt very appreciative that they let me come back to work after all of that because they didn't actually legally have to. Um, but that was a great company, Toys R Us, who did that. In September of 2013, which was 14 months after I was diagnosed, I had the exchange surgery and that was my final surgery. That was the last procedure I had done regarding my cancer so far. And that went pretty well. Um, The results came out very well, um, as best as could be expected, actually, which is kind of luck of the draw. So I'm very happy that that happened. Um, They say it was partly because of my age and the skin is more elastic than if you're older. At that point, my biggest challenge and actually it's still a little bit of a challenge and it's very difficult to talk about but nipple reconstruction um, is something that I really struggled with whether or not I actually wanted to do it um, I still haven't and I still don't necessarily feel comfortable getting nipple reconstruction um, for several reasons and I thought maybe this would be something that other young women could relate to or other women in general who've kind of had a similar experience. Um, For me, the only kind of nipple reconstruction, quote unquote, I can have is a tattoo. I could do those. And then basically to me now, it's either getting nipple tattoos, nothing at all, or getting another type of tattoo that's maybe more fun. There is this doctor um, in Pennsylvania, I believe, that does flower tattoos and all sorts of tattoos for women with breast cancer. That's someone I've really considered going to when I feel comfortable. Um, I'm very, I I hate to say it, but I'm, I'm pretty vain. And when all of this happened, 
um, being bald, not having nipples. Um, those are really, really big issues to deal with for someone who, for anyone. I think for but, anyone. I, I don't think it has, you know, I think it's just a loss of part of you. It is, and it's uncomfortable, and it's weird, and it's sad, and it's a lot of things. Um, but it's something that I'm still struggling with actually six years later. Um, and I think the decision could be easy for some people and difficult for some people. For me, the fear is directly related to having had radiation um, and the result that I had from my surgery, which is a positive result. Um, And aesthetically, they look very pretty. However, I can have any kind of future surgery for them, an an exchange surgery or... So what you decide to do with regard to nipple reconstruction is very personal and it's something you don't have to decide at that moment and it's also something that your mind might change about in the future and for me um i thought it was very important to me for physical reasons and visual reasons for both um not having nipples can affect your sex life and it can affect your whether or not you have insecurity And it can affect so much. And having all of those and still being very insecure about it, I still don't feel comfortable getting tattoos. Um, For me, I have a fear that I'm going to get an infection from a tattoo. And this is just very personal to me. This might not even be a big deal to a lot of other people. And I know it's not because I've talked to a lot of women in my support group about it. And some, some people feel very comfortable doing it. But for me, I'm afraid that I'm not going to have the same result aesthetically in my breasts that I did when I had my initial surgery if I get an infection from a tattoo in my breast or both of my breasts. So radiation affected my skin by making it less elastic. And if I get any kind of infection and tattoos always have a potential of causing infection. And if I get any kind of skin infection, that can cause a potential threat to my implants and my skin. Um, And that's more of a fear to me. Um, Possibly losing implants or not having a very good aesthetic result is a little bit more important to me personally than having nipples at all. Your body. Okay. I actually think that it won't make me necessarily more comfortable with my body. And I think that's a good and bad thing. Um, I think that's something that I've learned. um, And I didn't realize until we just had this conversation that it's actually maybe okay to feel like you don't want to have nipple reconstruction or you don't want to get a nipple tattoo um, and that you're still going to look beautiful even if you don't want to do that, it's okay not to want to do that. And I thought I would never not want to get a tattoo or have something there, um, but I don't feel comfortable doing that. And that's a surprising feeling that I didn't know about. So I definitely think it's very personal and you don't even know how you're going to feel about it unless you go through that. And that's how I felt about being bald as well and wearing a wig. You don't know how you're going to feel about it unless you actually walk in those shoes 
you might change your mind. Exactly. Now, did you get a lot of solicited or unsolicited advice as you went through chemo, right? Speaking of kind of not knowing how you're going to feel in your shoes, I think a lot of people want to give you advice who've never gone through it. Well, the biggest pet peeve, or I would say it's something that people love to tell me, was that they know someone who went through cancer, whether it's breast cancer or not. And sometimes they died, and sometimes they didn't. And everybody loves to tell that story as if it pertains to us. And I feel that personally, when people were telling me these stories, I didn't feel like it pertained to me. Every cancer is so different um, and so specific and everybody's story is different. And you can't put a label that your relative died of this or is better or is in remission or is undergoing such and such. Nobody can compare anybody's cancer to anybody else's experience. Um, to me, that was one of the biggest opinions that people gave me. And the second thing that was very abundant was about food and consumption, what you should put in your body and what you shouldn't put in your body. And everyone was very passionate about how they felt. Um, I knew someone in Mexico that cured someone um, just by doing rituals. I know someone who went completely holistic and cured their own cancer in six months. There's a lot of opinions, but nobody can really make that decision aside from you and potentially your family and your loved ones who are supporting you. So there's definitely people out there that want to give you advice and they're coming from a great place, but there's a lot of things we just don't want to hear. It's hard to figure out what you should be doing and then now navigating all these opinions and it's, it's tough. What did life look like after cancer? My life changed dramatically after cancer. Um, it changed me the, the most out of everyone I know. Um, it changed me. It didn't change my husband as much or thank God my son was so young. He didn't really recognize what was happening. Um, for me, the biggest change was within myself. Um, honestly, it's given me a little bit of a buffer between my feelings and who I am and everyone who is a loved one and family member and friend. There's a little bit of a distance that I've kind of put there. And that distance is kind of what I touched on before which is that no one can understand what you've been through unless you've literally been in those shoes. Um, you know, that concept of coming close to death and actually thinking about it um, and coming to terms with it even, unless someone has actually felt those things and seen those things, visualized those things, I don't necessarily know that they can understand. A lot of amazing things happened to me as a result of having had cancer. One of those things is the distance. However, it's given me a huge perspective, a completely different perspective on life. Um, it's provided me with the, the understanding that this life is really short and it's very cliche. A lot of people say that. They learn from difficult situations in life that life is very short and you should enjoy it and take advantage of every great opportunity that you possibly can. 
but it's actually very true. And it hits a whole other level of emotion when it actually happens to you. It's one thing hearing about it from other people and in memes and on Facebook and all these things, but it's another to actually experience it. And for me, that came in many forms. Um, one came with relationships and maybe saying no a little more, becoming a little more in tune with myself, giving myself privileges um, that I never felt that I had before, kind of emotional privileges and being able to take a little bit better care of myself emotionally and maybe not be the provider of emotional support for everyone else that I love, but spend a little more of that on myself. And that's come, that's permeated through many aspects of my life. It's permeated career. It's given me focus in life, how I want to spend my life given me that motivation to do things that I never had the courage to do before. It's given me a lot of courage, actually. Um, and I feel that it was a huge positive thing that came from that. The biggest thing that came from cancer that was positive was my perspective on life. And I know a lot of things now about what one should do to live their life properly in a positive way as opposed to a negative way and just trying really hard to really get at life and really enjoy life more. That's great. I think there's so much tough toughness that goes on with dealing with cancer and it's emotionally, it's physically, it's mentally draining, but you know, it's nice to hear that there are some positive things on the other side. And I think that's inspiring for women who are just starting out on this journey to hear that, you know what, they're going to come out on the other side and they're going to be okay. And that, you know, a lot of, and I was one of those women that thought, I don't want to hear those cliche things. That doesn't mean anything to me. I'm in a really difficult position and that's such a far-fetched idea. Not really interested in hearing that. However, when you come out of it, there really is a lot that you get out of it that it sucks. No one wants to go through that and no one should. However, there definitely are things that happen to you. So many changes that happen, not just physically, that will make your life better. That's a promise. Is there anything else that you want to talk about or anything else that you want women to know who are going through this? So one thing I hope that people take away from this is that it's okay to be a little bit vain and feel that what you're going through might be very difficult for you physically and how you're going to be looking at yourself. But I think we're very hard on ourselves and I would really love someone to, to come away with this thinking, we, I know it's cliche as well that we're beautiful no matter what. However, for women that feel like it's difficult to be bald, to lose your hair, you know, to not have eyebrows, um, you know, your body's going to be different. It's okay to feel scared. It's okay to feel vain about it. And it's okay to want to put on makeup. So you mentioned that you were recently divorced and you're starting to date. How has having cancer affected 
being back out in the dating world, your body image and all that comes along with it? The body image is really the biggest obstacle in regards to starting to date. When do you have that conversation? When do you communicate, you know, that your breasts are not really natural, that they're implants and that you possibly don't have nipples? That's a very delicate conversation to have. And you never know how that's going to go. Um, for me, that's something really new and scary. And I actually haven't mentioned it yet. When do you mention it, right? So no one knows. Do you mention it on the first date? Do you mention it after you're serious with someone? I mean, it's such a big part of who you are, but you also don't want to lead with, hey, I had breast cancer. There's no right answer. There is no right answer. And that's something that you know, I'm, I'm struggling with trying to even figure that out um, because no one's guided me on how that works. There's no, I've never read a book out there about, you know, when is the appropriate time to communicate your body and, you know, any insecurity that you have about your body. Um, I personally think that would be something that would come up when you're getting intimate, but I've actually never mentioned it before, and if people do know that I have had breast cancer, um, but that's not an issue that has actually ever come up on either side. Um, I think that's, for me, that's a very happy thing, um, and I hope that other women who have augmentations but cancer-related um, will feel like it's not nearly as taboo as they think it could be. Um, I thought it was a really, really scary concept. Um, but it's actually not nearly as bad. Um, I don't think that it's a huge deal to a lot of people as it is to us. That's true. And you have to think that everyone has something, right? It, it may be more... It may not be as big as having cancer, but everyone has a past, everyone has a history, and I think dating is about learning each other's histories and figuring out if that works, if you're compatible, if you wanna know this person. I, you know, there aren't, there isn't anyone that's been able to guide me in similar experiences, even in my support group, you know, I've asked women who have similar, um, who have had similar surgeries to me, um, what their experience is, is, and everyone is different and there really isn't an answer. It seems like every situation is very personal and I'm not sure, I'm just not sure it's as big of an issue for anyone else as it is for us. It probably is not, right? We always think that people are judging us or for, for anything and really everyone's kind of focused on themselves. So I, I don't I, I think that people take it more in stride than you would expect. Yes, and I think a huge thing that I want someone to come away from hearing this with is that it's not as scary as it sounds to date um, with you know with having had surgery and possibly not having nipples or having you know DIEP reconstruction or any kind of physical 
issue or not issue, but surgery or anything that they don't feel comfortable with with their body, I think it's very about us and we might project it a little bit. Um, but I think that from everyone that I've spoken to who have been in similar experiences, which is unfortunately a lot of women, um, no one has come out and said that they've had a very bad experience. And I think this interview is just, you know, another resource that women who hear it and who can contact you, right, if they have questions and you are yet kind of adding to that field, that discussion, the conversation about dating after breast cancer, because that's not something we talk about. Because breast cancer is, for the most part, a disease of older women. It's changing, but it's not there yet. It's true. And, I, you know, when I was 29 and was diagnosed, I knew no one my age that had gone through anything that I had gone through. Even um, a couple of women that I met had maybe stage one or stage two breast cancer, but they didn't have the entire gamut of treatment that I had. And they didn't have this, you know, just no one is exactly the same. And for me at my age, I wish I had known someone who had been through something similar. I wish I heard someone who also didn't have nipples maybe, and that could speak to that it's not the end of the world, you know, and that it feels like our body is not the same and we're losing a piece of ourselves. Um, and maybe, you know, something that brings us pleasure as well. And it's really not the end of the world. It, your life really does go on and other wonderful things can happen and you can have other surgeries and there are so many possibilities out there. And at that time, when I was going through it, I didn't feel that there was any coming out of that dark hole and feeling good about my body again. Um, and that's definitely possible. And I hope that someone hears this and thinks, wow, someone is going through this and someone looks like this and they're still awesome and they're leading a full life. Thank you for sharing that and being very open and honest about your experience and how you came out of it and how you're living life. And I think that's really awesome and inspiring and why I started this podcast so that other people can listen to these stories and feel like, you know what, they're going to be okay. Maybe a different kind of okay, but they're still going to be okay. Thank you so much for having me. And I really hope that someone hears this and is maybe just a tiny bit, a little bit happier. Thank you. If people want to find you on social media, where can they find you? On Instagram, I'm xxrollergirl18xx. Um, and on Facebook, I'm Laura Getzelis, G-E-T-S-E-L-I-S. Awesome. Thank you again so much. Thank you. Okay. Thank you again for listening to my conversation with Laura. Her thoughts and discussions on nipple tattooing, dating, breast reconstruction, chemotherapy at a young age while having a child. All of these things are so important and things that we don't always talk about enough. I look forward to bringing you new and inspiring conversations every week with some amazing women. So I hope you continue to stay tuned in. And as always, if you are loving the show, please take a moment to leave a rating and review over on iTunes as that is the best way to grow the show. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Dr. Dukunski for more cancer news, podcast news, updates, and all sorts of good stuff. You can also check out my website at www.interludecancerstories.com. Thank you again, and I will see you all next week.